Welcome to Lead Today with me, Kalina. Let's talk leadership. Hey, today's episode is with Dan Dembski, founder of Unbound Merino. I think you're going to find it incredibly useful. I was introduced to Dan because I just recently launched a clothing brand and wanted to learn from someone who had successfully done the same. And he's absolutely an expert when it comes to e-commerce, digital strategy, and is such a humble and candid voice in the entrepreneurial space. He really lays it out exactly how he did it, challenges and all. We talk about crowdfunding campaigns, how to do what's unscalable, restaurants and art in Toronto. I think you'll really enjoy it. Happy listening. Okay, recording works. Everything is fun. Microsoft, there you go. I know. It's interesting. That's another thing. Like, it's been fascinating to see the evolution of meeting platforms, but that's because that's what I'm working on is like how to enhance effectiveness of meetings online. So, yeah. So, it's interesting. Microsoft makes it very hard to plug in. Zoom mm-hmm. is actually a lot easier to plug into their ecosystem. Like, we're building a Zoom app, app on their marketplace with Chiefly. All right. So. Cool. Well, I'll tell you something. I can't see myself, and I find that to be a lot better. I, I find when I see myself on Zoom, it could be a little distracting. Yeah. Yeah, so definitely. now I just see you, and I feel like I'm talking to you. I'm not talking to you with, like, myself in in the in the fold, which is, like, a weird thing. It's weird to have to, like, look at yourself and, like, you know? It's like, is my background good and these... Right now, I don't care. I'm just, is it okay that I'm looking like on an angle though? Because my camera's here, but I'm looking at you here. I, I'm okay with it. Okay. But it is but it is an interesting thing, the whole notion, right? Because if we were in person, there wouldn't yeah. be, like it would just be us. There wouldn't, I wouldn't know what's behind me. I wouldn't be like seeing yeah. face. Yeah. It's really actually changed everything because you're so much more self-conscious about, okay, like what my hair, you're looking at yourself more than the other person. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, went, I went and I put my basketball there. I'm like, hey, <laughs> I need to put something in that. It was, it was empty. I'm like, oh, I'll put a basketball. Yeah. Is it signed? It looks like it has. No, that's uh, that's like on the ball. Like it's it's just like uh, the NBA commissioner. It's like it's not an actual signature. It's like the design of the ball. But cool. Makes sense now that you told me that basketball league story. Yeah. Well, you've got all kinds of like. That's a fascinating thing, actually, about, like, meeting someone this way. Because, like, I can see things that I would never see if we met for coffee or something, right? Yeah. Like, like I, we have an affiliate marketing company we work with. And they saw – they were looking at these Totoros. Do you know this cartoon character, Totoro? It's like a famous Japanese character. And he's like, at the end of it, he's like, I see a Totoro. And we went on a whole talk about the studio that did the cartoon. And he ended up recommending all these movies. So I've been watching all these. Other, it was like – it's interesting. It's the little pieces of your personality that you kind of leave behind. Yeah, completely. I think it's important, which is why actually it's very interesting when you see people with the fake backgrounds, you know? Yeah, those are the worst. Agreed, agreed. But people like, to, you know, totally yeah. use them all the time. And it's yeah. like, I feel like you're missing something. Like even that face. What is that? Like that, that model of the head. This one? 
Yeah. I think it's called the cyclitic headache. My um, my ex had a a a business where she would go and she would find all these like vintage things from yard sales, from Valley Village, from estate sales. And she was a home stager, a decorator. She is one. So she'd get all the stuff and then she would have this Instagram where they would find these interesting design pieces and sell them. And I mean, I love this head. I don't know anything about it. I think it's actually like a famous um, design piece, but I'm just like, I love it. It's just so ominous and strange and just, I don't know. And I just felt like it would be a cool thing on my shelf. This was before um, decorating for Zoom. <laughs> <laughs> this was more just uh I like the head. I like have a lot of like little weird things that I just like. Like a little Captain Cornstarch. It's like Captain Crunch, but he, you know, he's super big and has like a peg leg. And then that's the she Toronto chef Maddie Matheson. So there's an artist in the UK that I like on Instagram called Lumps. And he did Maddie Matheson, who's a chef in Toronto that I like. So I'm like, I can't believe Lumps is doing art of our Toronto chefs. I had to buy it. It's a little print. It's not framed yet. It's still in the like the mailer thing. So yeah. Oh yeah, now I see it. You were just in front of it for a second with oh, is there, yeah. yeah, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you know Maddie Matheson, the chef? No. Oh, he's awesome. He's such a character. Look him up after. He he's uh he's a really interesting, weird chef. He he was the chef at Parts and Labor in Toronto, and he became Instagram famous because he's such a quirky, weird guy that he, and he won a burger contest like on TV. So he ended up opening up P&L Burger, and then now he has a burger place at Trinity Bellas Park called Maddie's Patties, and he just opened up a taco place with a famous Mexican chef right here, right near my place, which is maybe the best taco I've eaten in Toronto. Okay. And He's just like opening restaurants, like left, right, and center, but they're all just these amazing, like simple concepts. And he's such a character. Like he's the funniest chef to, with a good heart. Like he's, he's not like Gordon Ramsay, like screaming at people and stuff. He's, he's just all love and like weirdness. That's awesome. I'll have to check yeah. him out when I'm home. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I, uh, well, I know on a lot of podcasts or interviews, people always kind of read this blurb and then the person has to kind of listen to them being themselves being described and it's always I always find it kind of awkward okay. so I'd rather I'd honestly rather just have you introduce yourself I think you know best kind of what what you're up to and and what you're proud of that you're working on so I'd rather hear it from straight from you sure well I my I have a business it's called Unbound Merino we're an apparel brand uh, we sell merino wool t-shirts hoodies sweatshirts socks underwear which is like a really high performance functional fabric but we sell timeless classic simple stuff so it's a, almost like a minimalist wardrobe for people who want like really high performance stuff um it's not my first business i've had a few uh i've sort of fell into being an entrepreneur at a young age i, I didn't i didn't go after it like i want to be a businessman or an entrepreneur um I didn't get into university. I got ended up taking a year off working, being really unsatisfied with my life. And I ended up going to college for radio broadcasting. And I started a career in radio, but I didn't really see a future in it because I started to feel like 
I'm already, this is a long time ago, but I'm already starting to get into podcasts. Like that was really early days for podcasts. And I felt like everything's going to get digital. Like I, I, I started to really question the path. And I started doing some side project video work with my best friend and, and we got really busy and it's just slowly, not, I wouldn't say slowly, actually kind of quickly ended up becoming a full-time business because we were so passionate about doing it that we sort of just fell into this entrepreneurship thing. And I, I, I found myself in a place where I was like, I own a business now, you know, it wasn't really like, I'm going to go create a business plan. I, I didn't plan for this. I didn't go and take the leap of faith. I was living at my mom's place. We started it in my mom's basement. Um, we just got so busy that we started having to hire people to help us execute on all the projects that we had. And then we ended up getting bigger and bigger clients and we had to move out of my mom's basement because, you know, our clients became more, you know, they started, they started out as mom and pop shops, but we, within a year, we were working with GE and Fujifilm and bigger brands like that. And we didn't feel comfortable taking them to my mom's basement to have a meeting in our studio. So we got a studio downtown and two years later I had 20 employees and we had just like all these huge brand clients. And I sort of set, was taking it back. I'm like, Oh man, I, I started a business. It just happened. But since then I've evolved. I really stopped liking that. And I wanted to create a product business. And I thought for years, what is this business going to be? I really didn't know. I just knew that I want to get out of this service industry of selling contracts and executing on those contracts i wanted to create a product but it wasn't until i found a need for apparel like we were making i had this aha moment where i'm like i'm really unsatisfied with what's out there why don't i go and create it so uh we did a crowdfunding campaign and we tried to sell thirty thousand dollars to make this thing get off the ground but in the first two months we sold four hundred thousand dollars of product and i was like wow like i'm I, I mean i already started a business that was semi, you know pretty successful but this was like starting from scratch it was from ground zero and i had no experience doing clothing but you know what we really focused on was creating something that we wanted to see exist you know we felt like there was really like i i, I started to love what marina wool and i discovered it from a reddit post but i really didn't like the brands that were out there they were really good brands they just made stuff that was more for the purpose of being outdoors or active wear. And it looked like that. I was looking for more simple, timeless, classic sort of looking stuff in with this wonderful material. I couldn't find anything. So I thought, well, why don't I make it? So I banded together with my two best friends and we've been, you know, been growing steadily ever since we launched from that crowdfunding campaign. And now we sell in over a hundred countries around the world. Wow. <laughs> All, all of the all of the steps are just wow I so I guess my so many questions but the the first one so you said service to product what what kind of prompted that because you said okay I was kind of getting I was over the service side and just fulfilling right so what what was it about service space because I I can I feel you there's something there's something draining in that or challenging in that so what what was it, do you think, that made you make that switch? I just find that they scale very differently. And I really loved what we were doing a lot for a long period of time until we really had all the employees and, and they started having to sell and close deals. I became a sales guy. 
I had to close deals to keep the lights on. And the thing about a service business is you, you, you do X amount of work and they'll get compensated proportionally to that. You know, we'll sell you a $5,000 project or a $50,000 project or a $500,000 project. And once you sign on that contract and the check deposit is written, you're delivering $5,000 worth of work, $50,000 worth of work or $500,000 worth of work. It's equal to the value of the cost. And, and you have to go and execute on that. So your business is only as successful as your last deal. It was like a constant, constant grind. And I found that, you know, in my early twenties, I was able to work really, really ridiculous hours. But as I got closer to 30 and past 30, I, 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 I didn't have that energy or desire to put in like those hours anymore. And if I went and I took a trip or took a little bit of time off, um, you'd really see that in the business, um, in the cash flow situation of the business, you know, six to nine months later. And I was never really good at hiring salespeople to close deals like I could. So I felt like I was kind of a, trapped in the business. And, I, and that was really hard for me. I, I, I needed to grow out of that. So I looked at people that I knew and I was heavily plugged into a lot of different entrepreneur communities that started product businesses. And I noticed that they put in all this effort into a product launch, but then the product sort of had a life of its own. And when they went to, went to bed, especially if it was e-commerce, I was very specific. I wanted to be online. I didn't want to do any wholesale because that's going almost back to service level business because you have to maintain the relationships with these people and it's for smaller margins and you have to please them all the time. But especially for e-commerce, if you have a product and you have the inventory sitting there, once you have your marketing out there, the, it sells while you sleep. And I was really, really drawn to that idea. I'm like, I want to put this amount of work in, but I want it to create products that continue to give value when I am not there doing the executing of the work. You know, I wasn't doing a lot of the video stuff myself anymore, but we had the team to do it. So we had to, you know, deploy a team to execute on the, on, on those video contracts. When we first did the crowdfunding campaign and we were successful, and then we opened up our Shopify store, you know, there's an app that you have that a Shopify app. And if you have the notifications on when a sale comes in, you have a little, Ching! There's a little cash register sound. The first day that our Shopify store was open and we were getting sales, I kept that sound on when I went to bed. <laughs> and I remember laying with my head on the pillow and I would just hear, Ching! and I just had this like, <laughs> I'm like, I can't believe that I'm making money right now. Like it's, and then again, this is not about money for me. It's never been about money to me. Um, it's about building something. I like the, the act of building something. I like the act of building something with my friends. Um, I like the building the website. I like the, I just, and, and creating something that I really love. And I really love what we built. I'm very proud of what we built. Um, but it was a very cool and freeing feeling to go from having to, okay, well now we close a deal. Now it's time to do all the work to let's do all the work. Let's introduce this beautiful product to the world and then have it have a life of its own have instead of me being the salesperson let's have the website be the salesperson and it was you know there's a reason why the company is called unbound you know it's like it's unbound in life um unbound from you know what felt like handcuffs 
golden handcuffs in a way, but it was like, cause we had a successful business, but it was, it was really hard for me. Um, but also, you know, the product gives that freedom because it's all about, you know, it's less so in the, in the pandemic, but we created a product that was for travel. Um, you know, it's antibacterial and it's odor resistant. So when you travel, you could have less stuff. Cause if you have to wear your shirt a few days in a row, it will never, it won't smell, you know? So it's unbound from having to go to the luggage carousel or having being burdened with lots of luggage. So right from the core of why we started the business all the way through to the product, it's all about freedom and simplicity. And that's what we created with our company. I love it. Well, and then, then what comes to my mind is, okay, I, that first of all, I would love to <laughs> hear that notification on my phone since we just started a, lead lead where and but for me so it's on like i told you it's on teespring so it's not that i have to source any of it like i didn't design the whole supply chain you know i really just branded it the story is there the reason i started it you know i have all of that clear but i didn't have to go kind of from scratch so i mean i'm curious really from from scratch all the way to even marketing it it's like i mean not everybody can just turn on a crowdfunding campaign and get $400,000 worth of sales, right? It's like how, tell me a little bit more about how you made that tick. Like, where'd you get the actual product all the way to, yeah, you hit, you know, you hit launch on that campaign, but you guys nailed it. So. Right. Well, when we were creating the campaign, um, we really, really wanted it to work. Obviously um, I really just needed, and, and I wasn't sure if it would, I had no experience making clothing. And, you know, something I left out, we, we, I'd say that we were pretty successful in our, our previous business, but we were really coasting for a while. And I started focusing all my energy on trying to start something new to the point where I didn't feel justified even taking a salary from my own business anymore because I wasn't closing deals. And so I had a bit of savings. I started, the savings started to evaporate as I sort of just took this big gamble on this new thing. So when it came out, I was you know, part of the reason why we did a crowdfunding campaign was one, I didn't, it's not like I was sitting on a bunch of capital where I can go and take this risk and let's put a hundred grand in and see if this thing works. I had, I'm like, I had no money to put into this. I had to live on my money. So, um, we did the crowdfunding campaign and part of the reason we did it was to get the money. If it worked, it would be money to start the business. The other reason was it would, prove product market fit if people bought our stuff it would prove that they want what we're trying to sell um and then the other thing was is it would it was almost like a business plan in a sense because we didn't have a business plan again i've never written a business plan even though i've started a few businesses um but a, a crowdfunding campaign in a way is a business plan because you have to factor in all of the pieces to make it work so first of all we had to figure out clothing manufacturing because People won't back an idea, they'll back a prototype, like a real product, you know? And a lot of people are very nervous about crowdfunding campaigns. What if they don't deliver? So we had to show that we had a real product and we had to do everything we can to show that it was real. I mean, we could have bought a t-shirt at H&M and lied, and pretended it was ours, but we really wanted to make sure that what we had and what we were bringing to the market was the real product and that when we would sell it, it would be, the business would have legs because the product quality was where we needed it to be. So we went on the mission of sourcing manufacturers, 
trying to figure out how to manufacture clothing. We had no idea. So we did it in a very, like, you know, there's a, there's a, a industry standard way of doing it. We didn't know what that was. The way that we manufactured our shirts is we went into H&M and we went into Gap and we went into Banana Republic and any other big store that you could think of. And we tried on t-shirts and we looked, so we were lucky that me and my two business partners were all size medium, but kind of had different builds. I had about 20 pounds extra on me at the time, but I was a size medium. Dima was like a lankier, a little bit taller than us, size medium. And Andrew always had this sort of athletic build, but size medium. So we thought, why don't we find a shirt that kind of uh, looks good on all of us with three different body types and like look for like the qualities of that shirt. But we couldn't find one, but we did find at H&M, the sleeves really, we liked the way the sleeves fit on all of us. And at Gap, you know, maybe it was the neckline at Gap. I don't remember specifically, but we ended up buying all these shirts and we took post-it notes just like this. And we wrote like, we like the neckline on this and we would adhere it to the shirt. And we put this package together and we did this whole big process to find like suppliers off Alibaba. And we mailed them the shirts and we had them Frankenstein together a prototype and we put it on and like, no, it's way off. So we, but we now had our version one. So we said, the, the sleeves are way too dumpy and long. We need them to be tighter and we send it off and then we get another prototype. We did that back and forth and back and forth. And we did this for a year and a half. Wow. All the while we we're trying to think, well, what's the brand going to be called? We had like a million names. Then we'd go and we'd you know, do a trademark search. We'd do a, can we get the Twitter and the Instagram? And we just kept looking and looking and looking and trying. And then, you know, Dima came up with the name unbound merino and he had a little pitch deck about why and how it fit so beautifully it really t- spoke to me you know i told you about like the what the word means to me for my life but also for like the freedom of travel and all that i'm like this is the name but then we started you know doing the video and we started coming up with all the graphics so when you get to the end of your crowdfunding campaign you have not only a product and you've a, a supply a, a relationship with a manufacturer you have a brand name, you have a video that sells your product, you have all of the photography and the graphics and everything and how you're going to position it. You have this like, you have an actual business, you have like a store. It's like having an e-commerce store, but it's on a crowdfunding platform. The only thing you don't have is any customers. So you have yeah. to go and say, well, what is it? Now you may think that your pitch is good, but there's a million ways in which, you know, little things that we tried to do to make sure this worked because we desperately wanted it to work. And I read everything I could find on the internet about how to run a successful crowdfunding campaign. Anyone I know that have done a crowdfunding campaign, successful or otherwise, I asked them for their opinions. I had them look at our stuff. I took some of their feedback to heart, made some changes. Um, but the one thing that we did that I'd say is the biggest X factor, aside from all of the work, a year and a half of work to get this thing to the actual launch. The one thing that made the crowdfunding campaign successful, if there was like the, the one tip is we faked the momentum from the beginning. So I got everyone I was comfortable with asking them to buy a shirt. So we crafted a deal with Indiegogo. Our crowdfunding goal was $30,000 and they have a rule. Uh, a, we made a deal with them that they do this commonly, that if you reach 
30% or 33% rather of your funding goal within the first 48 hours, they'll feature you in their newsletter, which is a really good piece of marketing. It really does a lot for sales. So we've said we need to get 30% in the first day. That was our commitment. So that means we needed to sell $10,000 of product in the first day. And that was all, that was it, what we did. We, I went for a month ahead. I went through my Facebook list and I looked at every single name of every single person. And I said, am I comfortable messaging this person? I may not have spoken to them in a year, a month, two years, five years. Am I comfortable saying I'm launching this thing? Can you please buy a t-shirt? At the time they were on the campaign, they were 50 bucks. So this is not a cheap t-shirt. It's the best price we've ever had for the t-shirt because it's a very expensive material. But it's not like asking someone to spend, 50, you know, I don't know what financial situation they're in. And also it's like, they might not think that t-shirt is worth $50. But I went there and I made a spreadsheet of anyone that said that they would do it. And... I had this list of, I don't remember how many people were on it, but it was a lot. They said, yeah, yeah, sure. They, you know, some of them might've like passively agreed, but I said, sure, sure. I'll support your campaign. And then when the campaign actually was about to launch, I needed to make sure these people would actually execute. And one thing I noticed with crowdfunding campaigns is a lot of times, and this has happened to you for sure. You're going to get a message from someone you haven't heard from in a while. And they're going to say something like, Hey, uh, can you do me a favor and go vote for me on this website? I really appreciate your vote. Now you might go and click vote. It's a very, very like low, like small ask, but you could easily ignore it because you know that they mass messaged everyone. And if you didn't respond, you could have, you could even lie. It doesn't matter. They've sent that to hundreds of people already. And you're just one of them. And if, whether or not you want to reply, it doesn't matter. I didn't want my message to be one of those. I wanted them to at least know that I'm personally reaching out to them. So what I did is for every single person that said yes, I turned on my webcam and, you know, I remember this, my buddy, Dave, I, I, I said, Dave, how are you? You remember a, a month ago, I said, I'm launching a t-shirt company. Well, it's here. We just launched our campaign. I know you said you'd support if you can't, no pressure at all. But if you can, it means the world to me. I've been working on this thing for a year and a half. And I put blood, sweat, and tears into this. And, you know, if it's if it's not a good timing for you, no sweat at all. But, you know, then maybe I'd recite, like, a, an old, like, inside joke that we have or whatever. Now, there's a lot of these videos to make. And I was drinking yeah. whiskey. Me and Andrew, yeah. my business partner, we were drinking. So some of them got really crazy and sloppy. But we cranked them out. <laughs> And then we put them on YouTube as a private link and it would be like Dave.mpeg. And then I would send the video to his Facebook and then he'd see a thumbnail with me and it said Dave.mpeg. And I knew that they were going to click play because they'd be curious. Like that's like, it seems so personal and it was very personal. Each one. So what we were doing was we're at least making them respond. They know it's not a mass message. And some people said, no, some people said, do you know what, Dan? I just don't like, it's not a good time for me to spend 50 bucks. Thank you for even offering no pressure at all, you know, but most people did. And we started seeing the sales come in. So I remember one of the first orders was my brother, Brian Dembski. 
he's you know he's buying it he didn't care at all about the shirts he was buying it because he was helping me and he spent a hundred bucks or 200 bucks or whatever he spent and then the next order was sandy who's andrew's cousin and then it would be my friend from high school and be my other cousin and and I started seeing all these names come in. And as we're doing this, you know, we're at $1,000, $2,000, very fast, $4,000, $5,000. And then we're trending on Indiegogo. Then I see, I'll never forget, it was Johannes from Berlin. I didn't know who that was. I, I don't know who you It's not Dima's friends or cousin. It's not Andrew. Like, this is someone else. But because we had this manufactured momentum of our own, we were trending on the platform and then that there's sort of this effect that when something is new and hot, other people might say, I want to get into this too. If we had the campaign and it was $0, it wouldn't be very compelling to Johannes from Berlin. He'd be like, I don't want to back this failed campaign, but he was seeing that this thing is hot. This thing is selling like crazy. Like I want to buy this people, some people, people like this, like it's validating. It's kind of like when people line up for the new Nintendo console, when it comes out, it's like, everyone wants it. My brother just bought a PS five because he liked the chase he bought it for his son but like it was like clearly like it was like the excitement right? like there's some social proof of getting a ps5 at that time right so we manufactured a momentum that carried way past uh the the ten thousand dollars we were trying to achieve that's the single best thing that we did and for anyone starting a crowdfunding campaign or any kind of new business manufacturing momentum is not an easy thing to do but it is the single greatest marketing thing i think you could possibly do and it worked really well for us i love that story for so many different reasons i think the the thing that stands out is just how diligent you were on follow-up and how you you customized you know like like to me okay it's one thing like you said to just mass message a, a bunch of your friends but the fact that you followed up and i think that would be for anything i mean your first business like you said even if it's service-based product-based doesn't matter i mean we're fundraising right now at chiefly so we're doing our, our pre-seed fundraise it's it's all the same thing right it's you're showing people that you care you're showing people that they matter and that you're you're looking you're reaching out for personal connection it's not just another kind of person on their list right you're sitting there doing something customized for them because you care. So, I mean, one yeah. of the questions I really wanted to ask you, which I think ties in nicely because it's an example of it, is how do you lead in your daily life? And it doesn't have to be just about your business, but I I mean, I think that's already one example because you, you really went in action by action, person by person, customized something to to get their support. You know, you were you were very thoughtful about it, but I'm curious how else you would say you lead in your daily life, again, maybe even outside of outside of work. The basketball story is a good one too. I feel like just inherently you're you're a leader in your life because you're constantly taking initiative, but um I'm I'm curious about what comes to mind for you. Well, I mean, on my best of days, the best way to lead is by example, you know? I I would say that I I struggle a little bit as a leader on on a lot of especially now as this business continues to grow, I'm very comfortable in this sort of like I believe we could start something great stage of the business. And as this business is starting to grow and needs to be managed a little bit differently, um, I need to requalify uh, for my job to be perfectly blunt. Um, on the best of days, I'm leading by example. I'm diligently working really hard. I have a lot of clarity on what I'm supposed to be doing. Um, 
you know, in the early stages, what are you supposed to be doing? You're supposed to get this thing out into the market and, and, and get your first sale. And like, I'm all about that. I'm, I'm really good in that zone right now. It's like, my job is smaller. It's more narrow. So as a leader, the best thing I could do is, is have a lot of clarity, um, in what my role is supposed to be and work really hard at it, but it's not my natural desire to like find, you know, right now I'm working on, on affiliates and influencers and I've sort of loved the relationships that we could build, but it's like, it's the most narrow job that I've ever, I've had in this business because the thing was so big at first, everything I needed to help mail out the packages, get everything started, build some systems, but people take that over. Um, you know, the role as a leader in a company and often that the CEO, sometimes they say it's like a cheerleader. Really, it's like find the person who's better uh, than you and get out of their way. That's like maybe one of the great things to do. And I think that's one thing that I do really well in terms of leadership and maybe almost to a fault. It's a good thing, but I'm definitely not a micromanager. Once someone is in the seat, I usually trust them. I wouldn't put them in the seat if I didn't trust them. And I give them an insane amount of autonomy to the point of like, we have a warehouse, we do our own fulfillment and we have three awesome guys running our warehouse and they have so much autonomy that the, the way that we send out our packages evolved to the point where I didn't even know how it worked anymore. So I had to go in and be trained just because I want to make sure that I at least understand how this business works and that I have a good mind for like, this is really inefficient or this is efficient, but I never go in there and say, no, like do it my way or the highway. Like, like these guys, they, they have, they have their own company credit card. They can buy the things they need to make things work better. They buy shelving, they change the warehouse, they do stuff on their own and they feel like it's theirs. So I'm good at that. Um, you know, the, but again, the best thing I could ever do is just stay in my lane, cheer people on and work really hard and, and show that I'm, I care as much as they do. And, 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 you know, every day it's a, it, it's an evolving thing. And I'm trying to figure, I'm actually really trying to figure out like, what does it mean to be a leader as this business continues to grow a little bit bigger and bigger? Yeah, I appreciate that because it means that you're still learning and growing, right? I mean, if you if you had it all figured out, I would be a bit more worried. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't. Um, but you know, I'm starting to get more comfortable in the role, and I think one of the things that I has been my gift to this business is what I it was my idea originally. I didn't, I couldn't have done it without my team. I really couldn't have done it without Andrew Dima, who I started with, Naim, who was the first guy who we worked with. Uh, all everyone that's been on our team is very, very important. And I, 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 I think about any one of them not being on the team and how screwed we'd be. Like we need at least the seat and the people in the seats are the right people. Um, but one of the gifts that I had to, to the business was the vision of starting it. And I convinced Andrew and Dima at first that this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to take it to market. And they believed in me enough to say, okay, I'm going to spend a year and a half working on this with you for nothing. And then we'll have a business together. And we did, and we launched it and the thing is going, I'm trying now to put myself in a place where that vision thinking is best utilized. And I give myself time to just think, you know, I no longer feel bad about 
reading in the middle of the workday because I'm trying to get the cranks going because I need to think about where this is. I can't just work in the business, cranking out marketing and selling shirts and packaging shirts and shipping them out, doing customer service, but I should get in there and understand. I should think about how we do customer service. I should think about how we package our products. I should think about where the business is going what new product lines we should do. I should be writing stuff down that I think might make sense. So I think that's, um, it's a challenging thing in the leadership position is to sit back and say that thinking is working, you know, because thinking looks on the outside, like it's nothing. It looks like you're doing nothing, you know, um, when I sit with people who are like, I am going to edit this whole video today. I am going to send out, we have, you know, it's black Friday. We have, you know, a warehouse full of packages to ship out. Um, I'm going to write all this ad copy. I'm going to build this whole section of the website. I'm going to launch this new product. All this stuff is like very tangible stuff that is like, this is going to take many hours to do. When you sit there and you say you're thinking that could sound like a cop out. But it, you know, I'm starting to come to a realization that this is really important work and someone needs to be thinking and, and guiding about where this is going. Because right now, like, again, the past few years, I feel like I've been working in the business and I love it, but there needs to, we continue, need to stay ahead of the curve and think and, 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 and the strategy component is very important. So, Yeah, I, I love that this in the business versus on the business sort of idea for sure, it's so easy to get bogged down in the, the logistics or the operations, the day-to-day, -day, and it makes a ton of sense. And I think you said something actually really meaningful, which was, okay, but I am thinking about customer, you know, customer experience or a new product line. Like, you're thinking, but it's there is some sort of structured thinking. You're not sitting there thinking about, maybe, maybe at some points, but when you're thinking about the business, you're you're thinking about stuff that you can improve within it. So it's, you know... It's unstructured, but in some sense, like you still are tackling certain hot topics. So it's and, and, and you could build some structure. I'll tell you one of the most meaningful things that we have added to our business in the past long while is I now send out an email to certain customers. I pick the you know, I have certain criteria of what we decided is important to us. And I ask them, I say, listen, we want to ask you some questions about like, you know, what led you to our brand and, and stuff. And would you be willing to get on a call with me for an hour? I'll, I'll buy you I'll, in exchange for your time. I'm going to give you a hundred dollar Amazon gift card. We don't give our own cause we want, we don't want to feel like we're giving our own stuff. Cause it feels like it's not giving anything. Like we'll buy you an Amazon gift card as a thank you. Um, can we like sit and talk with you? And, you know, in the same way that our, our, you know, we launched the business, with those videos, there's like when these customers can talk to the founders one-on-one, -on -one, for a full hour. I, I think I'm taking so much of their time, but like I've quickly noticed they really appreciate like, cause it's rare. It's rare that the founder of the company, uh, any company that they like is going to contact them and want to sit with them and would learn about them. And I, I, I sit for a full hour and I ask them everything that I can think of. And I really get to know who they are. Um, that's been one of the, greatest thing i mean in such a small and unscalable thing just like our you know our, our how we launched the business but sometimes those unscalable things are the best things because they're the things that are so often overlooked but i'll sit there and i just 
not only do I discover so much about like what our core customer is and like what really like motivated them to include our product in their life and why and what was what it was replacing like what you know there's a there's a methodology to these interviews it's called jtbd jobs to be done so it's what job did they hire our product to do so you know it's like it's like you're when you buy a product you're hiring a product to do a job trying to figure out what is that job what does it do in their life so we try to get to the bottom of that um not only do I learn about the customer, but I see as I start to do more and more and more, and we've just done about 10 of these now, um, I can start to string together like a commonality, you know, some commonality and some like differences and unique things. And like, there's some aha moments, but one of the most rewarding things is not just the learning from that, but that connection. Because I know at the end of it, it's like, you know, assuming they like our product, and most of them, they really do. Um, I know that those people are, are are not just customers for life, like in the sense that we will transact and make more money from them. That's not even the point, but it's like the connection's deeper than most. Like I understand our customer on a deeper level and I have a relationship with them on a deeper level than a lot of brands could do. Like imagine Jeff Bezos called you and I'm not in any way comparing myself to him, but just like think of how differently you'd feel about Amazon, you know, obviously he can't do that on a scale of Amazon, but like he could do that, you know, 10 customers in a month. And uh, those people would be like, forever amazon fan and i can i think for any brand so that's been very very meaningful for me um i've really enjoyed that i don't even know what question i just answered i've just been going on a tangent but <laughs> no it's it's perfect and i i think that it relates to me also and what i see about great leaders actually in organizations that with their people because they'll do um i spoke with another ceo of a fortune 500 company and he would regularly do these interviews with just people that he had never met within the company. Like he would just, you know, at different levels. And so yeah. similar notion, right? To just say, look, I want to get to know what your experience is within this company. And same thing, you're increasing loyalty. They feel like you care. And it's not just a feeling, it's like, you actually do. That's why you're yeah. talking to them and you're learning something from them. And you might be able, I mean, there are tons of stories of companies getting really great input from, you know, people that are on the front line, a manager or like yeah. somebody at a cash register. Yeah. I mean, they, they have a completely different point of view. So valuing that i think is is huge so yeah. customer employee same I, I don't remember where i heard it but like I, I i think i mentioned that some of the best stuff you can do is the least scalable yeah and i i, I re that really hit home for me it, it makes a ton of sense i mean the the gestures that you could do on on scale like it's like if you got a a thank you letter that was like clearly like mass printed with like a fake signature on it you'd be like I don't need this junk. Like I get this on the holiday. Like, you can see on the holidays, like, you know, from real estate agents, you get these like mass things. Right. But if you got like a, an actual handwritten letter from that's clearly written to you, that's a whole other level. If you got a call, it's a whole other level. So I really, I really value those. I mean, the more unscalable things you can do, I think those things have a, um, the, the, almost an exponentiality to them. Like it's such a small little thing. It's one customer, but you do it a lot and you learn, you build, you get closer and and, and it has a, a pretty positive effect. Yeah, completely. Also fun. Yeah. Well, because it's, 
it's really easy to get on autopilot at some point, right? Like if you're just mass printing these messages or sending out emails, or if you're doing things just to be scalable, there's value in that. And I do want to learn from you about the scalable side of things and how to scale more effectively. But there's there's something there's something really valuable about showing up to an individual and having them feel important and seen. Like it's you cannot you can't replace it. So I I hear you. And I the best it's not just about brand. Like I I mean, you know what? If you stay even at a hotel, you know, I'm just thinking about like if you're at a hotel and you somebody at the front desk treats you kindly and even if they just remember your name, you know? It's like something yeah. as simple as and, and you see it with Starbucks or whatever, right? But it's like just remembering somebody's name. Like you said, so small. Yeah, but. it's huge. Yeah, I mean, there's we do our quarterly planning at this this hotel in Niagara on the Lake. We go. It's just like we like to go there, but they now know us. And you're right. You just they know what we eat for. We on the, we on the first night we go to the restaurant in the hotel, and they know what we eat. They are like say, are you getting the same? You getting you like, and that's like a. It's almost like, I'm like it feels like home. It feels like. Like your mom knows like your your favorite dish that she makes, you know, so it's a really warm and nice feeling when you get to that level. Which is interesting because the big brands do it. And of course, your mom just remembers it. But I mean, the big brands have like files on you. I don't know if this hotel has like a file on you or if they genuinely just remember. Right. But it's like, I mean, you see it with customer loyalty programs and stuff and marketing moving in that direction, obviously, of being able to remember your past purchases and know your buyer behavior. And so it's it's this interesting thing where even though technology can do some of that, I, I don't yeah, think it it's still, it's, yeah, it's still, it's still nice. If they had a note that said they like this dish, I don't care. That's nice. It's like, they liked eating this meal and then you go and you, they say, uh, you know, it's like, we know you like this meal. You're going to like it's the usual, or it's like, I don't care if they just read that off a computer screen. It's still like someone still like took the care to say like, you know, these they actually like this and like they come for this and yeah yeah it's sort of an interesting way of taking it from non-scalable to scalable though in a way right yeah, even yeah. if that waiter had never met you for example yeah. but they had it on your file or whatever then it's like it's a way to repeat yeah. that you still feel with... important the restaurant the restaurant cared enough to put if i said this is them and if you don't know them this is who they are and they come here all the time and they like this and that's just a nice feel. I, you know, I, I used to love going and I love eating in the city. I love going out. I mean, I, I used to love going out to restaurants when they existed. Uh, and I used to love going to uh, different, and I still do. I like trying new places. I'm really into that. But as I'm getting older, I'm starting to like going back to the same spots. And, I, you know, there's an oyster place right near where I live. And I go there all the time. And I'm like, I go here so much. Like I even go there by myself. Like just like I'll get like a half pint and like six oysters, and I'll just read a book and like or type on my laptop and just like just a place to change the scenery. And uh, for the longest time, they didn't have. There's no inclination that they really remembered me. And I'm like I go here way too much. Like they should at least. But then I remember the first time the guy said, "Hey, welcome back." You're going to sit in your spot again. Like the first time you remembered me, I actually texted my friend. I'm like, I feel like I just unlocked like, uh, you know, like a badge in like a game or something like a trophy. Like, it's like, I'm known here now. It felt really good, but it, like it took a long time. 
but it's like it's really nice it's nice to go to a place where they remember you and they appreciate you so i don't know that's a we've been going on about that but I, it is such a great feeling yeah, you make me think about just small town versus large town, kind of like Toronto is obviously a big city, right? So it's like maybe it does take, I don't know, 10 times before everybody. So it's, that is an interesting kind of, I'm just thinking about, you know, where my dad lived growing up versus like my mom, we lived in the city. And so going to my dad's place um, in Streetsville, which is not that far away, but it was such a small community that there everybody knew you. But if you go to the same cafe in toronto it could take yeah it takes a little so it, a lot of people going through yeah yeah it's an interesting uh, like philosophy from the business standpoint but then also like environment but yeah that we could probably go down <laughs> how that works but i so I, we just talked about things that don't scale but what about scaling i mean i know you're you're a part of eo and um obviously have scaled past a million and i again i don't know the exact figures on all of your businesses, but I'm just really curious about what you would say around getting past, you know, 1 million, like that first million dollar mark. Like what, what does it take? What's the difference? What well, it's, do- it's, it's very different in uh, the service and the product business. So I'll speak to the product business. I really think getting like your first, you know, we had a, we had an interesting path to growth because the crowdfunding was like how we achieved our first 2000 customers. I think if you could figure out how to get to your first thousand customers, it's like there's an exponentiality that you're now working with. And I think that comes from, well, first of all, the product quality really matters, right? If you have a thousand customers and you know, we had a last year, our returning customer rate was 50%, which is pretty high, but that's like, of all of our customers, 50% of them came back and made another purchase, at least their second purchase or third or fourth, whatever it was in that, in, in their last calendar year. So if you have a thousand people and you're, you have a returning customer rate of, you know, 25%, then you have 250 customers that will come back without you having to do any marketing. You know, you might have a thousand emails that, you now have a, a start of a pretty good email list. Um, you're going to have, word of mouth, maybe, you know, 20% of your customers are going to tell a friend and then they're going to come. So a very important thing here is again, they have to like your product. If you're selling some junk, it's going to be very hard for you to scale the business. It helps to have a product that you really, really worked hard at making it really high quality. That's worked. And I think that's very important. Um, But also there's a lot of tools you can use. Like you take that. So we had 2000 customers to start with. And when we started doing advertising, we Facebook advertising is a really powerful platform. And I don't know if you know how lookalike audiences look, but you can upload your 2000 customers into the Facebook ad platform and it will find customers that are in the top 1% most similar to those customers, not just in terms of like stuff that like on Facebook. I mean, you know how Facebook data, how deep it goes. It really, it's about all of their web traffic outside of Facebook, you know, what they buy, what their socioeconomic status. I mean, it's kind of creepy. It's creepy, but it like, it's a really powerful tool for companies like mine that like, you know, I, I remember when the whole Cambridge Analytica thing was happening and they're like, this is a breach of privacy. And then like, this is these are real concerns. But on the flip side of that, it levels the playing field for companies like ours that are not big corporations. We're just 
we were just three guys working out of a coffee shop, but we now have the ability to take these customers we worked really hard for and find people that are like it. That see, here are customers that would also potentially really like your product. So fate, having our first 2000 customers from, from the crowdfunding campaign allowed us to have a really, really powerful and robust Facebook ad strategy, which I, in, you know, when we started five years ago, it was a, it was insane. Like we would put in for every dollar we would put in, we'd make six or seven dollars. So we were we were selling product outlet hand over fist, growing so fast because it's like you know, you know, we were putting a hundred bucks a day into ads, and then five, you know, within a week, five hundred, then a thousand a day, then three thousand dollars a day into into like like I didn't even know we could afford this, but we were selling so much from it that it was like we were just acquiring more and more customers. So I think that the only, to scale, I think, don't think about how to get to a million dollars in revenue. You think about how to get a thousand customers. That's a really hard thing to do. And while we did it in our first two months of selling, because we did the crowdfunding campaign, that took us a year and a half to launch the campaign, right? Like we had to, we had to develop the product. We had to develop all of our positioning and all of the graphics and all, you know, I had to go in, on camera and, and, and do our crowdfunding video and write a really good script for that and deliver a really good script for that. And, uh, there's all this work, but there was a clear, a, there was a clear momentum from those first 2000 customers that allowed us to scale very quick. The Facebook ads, the word of mouth, the returning customers, um, that was what we needed. That was the launch pad. So that's where I, I think the scaling secret is, is, is don't think about scaling. Think about what is your guerrilla strategy? What's your, your small time really focused strategy for getting the first, you know, what's the first hundred look like and how do you get to that first thousand? And I think that's sort of the thinking that will help you get to scale a lot bigger than that. Yeah, I love it. In a sense, actually, it's back to the concept of of things that don't scale. Just yeah. in the sense that, I mean, you're. I like the the reframe of okay, it's more about how many people you're going to help. I think that's really useful. I like to think about it like that as well because it humanizes again, right? It's like you need a thousand of those customers that'll come and order, you know, the six or six oysters and a beer, right? Like that, you need a thousand of those just as the example. So it's like, you're you're humanizing it a bit. So I really like that piece personally. Because mm-hmm. it can start to just feel, okay, who are a thousand people, right? Mm-hmm. But it's like a lot of people went to high school with a thousand people. Like you can, you can start kind of thinking of a thousand people differently when you go down that rabbit hole versus a million just feels big and daunting. It's like, how are we gonna sell a million dollars worth of t-shirts, right? It's like- yeah. Yeah, and and and, it is, and there's no easy answer because you know if if I were selling, um, I don't know, let's say uh, a shampoo or something, I created a formula for a really amazing shampoo. I I couldn't tell you how I would get a, th- a thousand customers to buy that shampoo. It it's this is where you have to be creative and strategic and really sort of think about how you, like it's hard to get there. In our case, we did the crowdfunding. And the, we got, I told you how we got the momentum. We got it for our family and friends. And then we used that platform for more exposure. That was our, that, you know, it wasn't like the crowdfunding was going to work or it wasn't. If it didn't work, we would walk away. 
you know, at least we didn't lose, you know, all our money because we only had to put in a little bit of money to get to the point of selling on the crowdfunding campaign. Uh, and I would have prototypes. Like the worst case scenarios, I'd walk away with a bunch of our t-shirt prototypes, which is what I wanted anyway to begin with. Um, but it worked. And that was our way of, of obtaining that first thousand. So, you know, I think really trying to think about like what are possible ways you can do it, you know? Um, I had a sock business before. We made funky socks. I'm not wearing them right now. I was going to stick my foot up if I was. Um, <laughs> the there were socks designed by street artists and we never got that off. I mean, we got off the ground a little bit, not like this, but I couldn't really get the traffic on the website. You know, we, we, we had an article written about us in the national post and we got a lot of sales from that. And that was cool. And we had a bit of returning customers from there, but you know, we weren't getting that like real momentum. So we had to think, well, what do we do? So, we started going around to, you know, different stores and putting the sock, instead of sitting on our shelf, let's put them on consignment to these stores. They're better to sit in stores and we can start wholesaling. And skateboard shops like their stuff. Um, the best retailer we had was the AGO, the Art Gallery of Ontario. They picked it up because they like nifty, like little souvenir things. And our socks were designed by street artists from Toronto. So they thought this would be a cool thing. And that was a really, really good hub for us because a lot of people going to the AGO are art enthusiasts or tourists. And what a, and, and, and the people who buy socks are most, most commonly women buying socks as gifts for their kids and husbands. Like that's who our customer was, right? Yeah. And we saw that a lot in the art gallery because these, you know, predominantly women that were buying and we were sort of looking at it and asking and this are of course an assumption i'm guessing they were thinking like this is a a neat gift that i could take home i'm imagining they're a tourist you know they go to toronto they're from ottawa or copenhagen or detroit or wherever they're from and they go and they buy a pair of socks that are designed by a toronto street artist because it's kind of like a nice little, it's socks. It's a nice gift. And it's a cool, this, this is a, done by a street artist from Toronto. And I was just in Toronto at the art gallery and they sell these cool socks. How cool is that? So, you know, you got to find your way to get your first like cohort of customers, you know, in, in terms of our sock business, it was skateboard shops of like street art and, and, and the art gallery and places like that. But there's no one way you have to get really creative and, you know, every business is going to be different, but I think if you can sort of, you know, grind your way to the first thousand, you're off to the races. Yeah. But I mean, at the, every single example you've given while the environment is different, you're saying go to where, find where your people live, right? Like find where somebody that you said uh, jobs to be done right before yeah. like, your interviews. So it's like, you know, if you put that in, I don't know, like a CVS or a Walmart. I mean, yeah, but th those people are just driving home five minutes down the road. So yeah, maybe they'll say if they have Toronto pride, like they might say, yeah, yeah. you know, hey, these are like local Toronto artist socks. They, you might get that. Yeah. But yeah. to your point, right? Like it's a very touristy gift in the sense that it's Toronto based and it's artsy. Like you found the perfect intersection. And I think sometimes people just think, okay, I need to get it into Walmart, for example, and that's how it's going to go. And maybe... Maybe, you know, you'll sell a lot of socks if you get placement in Walmart. 
but it's like you really went to where your niche first users if you know are living yeah. where yeah. they really appreciate you in your yeah. software <laughs> and finding that and, and there's so many different ways i mean when we launched we also did a couple like posts up on reddit that worked really well for us and got us a lot of traffic and sales because like Reddit is full of subreddits of like people who are nerdy about whatever that thing is. You know, you can go on a baseball subreddit or a pug dog subreddit, or you can go on a nootropics or supplements subreddit. And when you go on those subreddits, you're finding people who are nerdy about that thing. So, you know, you might have an audience in a subreddit. So it's like, you have to just think exactly like you said, where are your people? And what is a way that you can earnestly reach out to them and, 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 show them that you have something that they want that they value that they need and it, it takes a lot of drive and creativity to find that yeah so what helps you what helps you keep that drive i mean you go to one place they don't want it or it doesn't work like you gotta i mean persistence right so how do you cultivate that i mean i was reading on your linkedin right like you like the gtd getting things done approach to kind of organization of tasks and i i love that too um awesome book but so but what keeps you that's kind of more like task organization but what keeps you not just organized uh, literally I'm doing this right now look oh there you go yeah i'm, re I'm relearning gtd right now because it's uh it's not that's not like uh riding a bike when you fall off you fall you gotta get back on so my system's a little broken so i'm climbing back in there but yeah side tangent what motivates what motivates you i you have to just look i've talked to you for a little bit now and I've shared a lot of like cool things that have happened between all those cool things is was like a lot of hard times. It wasn't all like, you know, that stretch. So that two months when we had our crowdfunding success, that was really exciting. That was really cool. That felt like the birth of like, I can't believe we did it. Like, well, I believe the whole time we were going to do it, but like when you actually happens, it's like a real rewarding thing. But I spent a year and a half and a year of that, I, I didn't have a salary and I was living off fumes and my savings went to nothing and I had nothing. And I'm like, if this doesn't work, I'm going to have to go, I'm either have to go back to my old business with my tail you know, down and just, I'm going to be depressed and I'll do it or I'm not going to do it. I'm going to go and I'm going to learn how to write a resume, something I've never done in my life. And I go look for a job. And it was scary. I've never applied for like a real job or, you know, I, I, I'm like, maybe Shopify will hire me. Like, I don't know who would hire me. I'm not that hireable. And, and um, it was scary. You know, there was times when I was like, it's like, I couldn't go out to eat in restaurants anymore. And, 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 but I just believed, I believed we could keep going. And, you know, I, I have a friend right now starting out a, a business and I, I know he's not so like, it's a, such a great product. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to like call them out specifically, but it's such a great product. Like I, I love it. I actually love it, but he's just not selling. He doesn't have any site traffic. And, and I, I just like, I say to him, like, dude, you have to just, I can't tell you where to find your customer. Like you just have to be showing up every day, like roll your sleeves and find them. The thing about his product is it's good enough that if it gets enough, like I buy his product and it's expensive. Like I buy because I really like it. I'm like, if you find 999 more of me, you're scaling this thing to the moon. But like we're out there. Like I buy it because I know him, 
but I, if I stopped knowing, if I didn't know him and I came across, I would, I really like it. I'm going to keep buying it. Um, it's one of the few like things I buy. That's like, it's a little bit of a luxury, uh, but he's like, I don't know. He's beating himself up a little bit. Like there's hard times and you have to be okay with that. And that's the thing. It's like people like revere entrepreneurship. It's like, and I'll tell you one thing when it works, it's great. And for a lot of people, if they can make it work, it's like probably the greatest thing ever, but it sucks most of the time for most. And it sucked <laughs> most of the time for me. Like it really, I've gone and, and, but the thing is, is once you realize the stuff that sucks the most, you come out of it, like with a lot of like, real perspective and character, um, you start to enjoy the, those downtimes in a sense. Um, but yeah, I've been an entrepreneur for probably 12 or 13 years. And a good 10 of them sucked. No, I'd say I'd say eight to nine of the years sucked. Most of it sucked because when we started the first business and took off, this was the greatest thing in the world. But then there was years of, I don't like this and I'm, I'm struggling and I, I don't have any time for myself. And then between that, I had the sock business and, and uh, I couldn't really get that off the ground, but I really loved it. I wish it did. And I couldn't quite get it to where I needed to, you know, and then, started this other business and I wasn't making any money. And I was, it's like, I just kept at it. And you know what? You have to know that that could be a reality. Sometimes it grows a lot faster and you can do it on the sideline of your cushy job that you have and you can make it work. Sometimes you can have a lot of capital that you've saved and you could, you know, if you have $50,000 of your own money that you could put into something that makes it a lot easier or even more makes it even easier or go get investment money and you can start a lot easier and hire people to help and, you can come up with a strategy. There's a lot of ways to start it, but if you're bootstrapping like me, it's like, it's not easy. And I don't say this in a, like, yeah, it's like, you got to go through the grinds. I'm not glamorizing it. It actually sucks most of the time, but I wouldn't change it for the world. I wouldn't change it for the world. Cause you know what else sucks? Working at a job you don't like sucks. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's why I, I moved into what I was doing was exactly that. It was like, I, I'm either going to spend this time making some hourly wage doing stuff I don't like, or I can figure out how to do it for me. And at least, at least I'm spending the time, but the return is, is mine to some degree. Or like I can, I can be proud of it and it's, it's on me. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting. I really like Jordan Peterson and his, his work and his basis of at least his, some of his talks are just around taking personal responsibility. And I think if anything, being an entrepreneur, it's like you just, if it's not working, it's on you. If it's working, it's on you. And so you can't really, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can't really hide from that, which is a tough pill to swallow sometimes, but it's like at least the persistence to keep going when it is working, it's, it gives you kind of the fuel, at least for me, it gives me like the reserves to keep going when it's not like, I know I can find, I know I can get back to something that does work or something meaningful. Yeah. Um, but man, no, like it's tough for a month at a time. You're just like, am I, how am I, how am I going to go forward? But I, I have to say, like you mentioned, you know, you can get investment and stuff and we are raising it chiefly and it, it is an option. I'm seeing lots of startups raising in the accelerator that I went through. It's funny. I talked to one CEO and he told me, he goes, yeah, you know, we, we raised 2 million and, it's a lot easier to spend people's money that isn't yours, right? And I thought about that for a bit, and I'm like, you know, yeah, but I don't know if that's a good thing in no, some, right? Terror, like, terror. I it, mean, it's 
It is and it isn't. It depends on what you're trying to build. There's some businesses that just need that capital. They need that cash injection. I have a friend who just raised a bunch of money. Literally, he told me today, he raised millions of dollars. And he's saying to me, like, you should raise money. And I was just like, should I? Should I? Because it's like, I could probably scale this business a lot more. But I'm like, also, I, uh, I don't want to have to answer it to anyone. It's like, I'm kind of like, I think we're going to continue to scale pretty nicely. And I have the grit to get in there and the accountability to get in there and, and, and try to keep it on the rails and grow in that path of growth. But I kind of like, you know, I have to answer to, I have to answer to the customers. And I have to answer to my two best lifelong best friends who are my business partners. That's enough. I don't, I might not like, like, you know, I heard, I heard a quote that said enough is as good as a feast. It's like, we're growing. I have a, you know, a pretty successful business. Um, I make the money I need, you know, I, 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 I would like it to grow more. There's a lot of, we have an ambition for it to grow more for a number of reasons, not because of money, like personal money, but, you know, influence in the industry, influence with our suppliers to be able to innovate in materials and things like that. There's a lot of reasons why we want this thing to scale, but it's like, do I need this to be like a nine figure business? Like for any particular reason? No, I'm already pretty lucky. I already like working. Like, I'll work really hard now. There'll be days I'll work mornings and night, but it's not like a, it doesn't feel like a prison sentence anymore. It feels like, like I want to do this. I want to be the most on top of this work ever because I love what we're doing and I believe in it. And I love that we're providing uh, a mission to the people. Like I, I literally work with just a ton of friends. And I'm lucky to have my friends that I have, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's just like, I, I kind of like the path, but if I felt like getting money would make the thing work better, then I, I would be totally game. That'd be kind of, I mean, in a sense, I needed the crowdfunding to start this business. I didn't go and like save up hundreds of thousands of dollars and put it into the business. I, we started the business on the, I mean, it's way different because we didn't give a piece of the company up, but we built the business on the back of 2000 customers buying our product. So, you but know. I think the key point, you didn't give up part of the business and, and the point of answering to someone and there there's, it's a really different thing. It's, it, it's really interesting to have somebody saying, no, I think you should go this way. And, and you, you can't just say, okay, but no, or that, you know, I've had really interesting conversations with investors um, where they, you know, if you own another business, they want you to, they want you to add that business to the business that they're investing in so that they can benefit from the other business, even if you've built it outside of yeah. what you're doing now, like just interesting things where it's like, they really want to own you, you well, as a person, you know, in some way. And it's like, it can be a big trade-off for 50, 100, 150, 200, a million, whatever it is, right? But that, like, that can be a really big trade-off. And so one a- of the weird things about investment is, it's not weird, it's, it's, it's just matter of fact. It's like, if I were to take, you know, if I had, let's say a few hundred thousand dollars that I could invest in another person's business, why am I really doing that? Like, why? The reason is, is because that is a good, sound investment in my eyes. Like I think by investing in, in the ABC company, ABC, that $250,000 I put in is going to be worth a lot more. 
So my motivation is for a return. And once there's the motivation is for just the return for the event, they, because when you're on the, when I'm a, I want a return on my time and I want, I wanted this business to make money and sure all that stuff, but I care about the customer. I talk to the customer. I am the customer. We make product. But when someone comes and puts money in my business, they don't care like I care. They just want the business to grow. So they start to be like, and I sort of see that with some of the companies, even in our space that are bigger, you know, one was just bought by this huge conglomerate, like apparel brand of massive. And it's just like the quality of their product is going down. You know, there's a burger place here in Toronto that was my favorite burger place. It got bought by uh, Kara Foods. You know, Kara Foods owns like Harvey's and Swiss Chalet and Montana, all these big chain restaurants. Yeah. The burger is not good anymore. Why? Because the guy who started it was bought out. He took a big paycheck. He's gone. And now there's a boardroom of people. They're not, they don't care about the burger. They care about the brand growing and now the burger and I don't I can't pinpoint exactly why, but I knew it was coming when they sold them. I care foods about it. I'm like, watch, this burger is not good anymore. And I do not know a single. I mean, it's popular, but people don't that I know that are burger enthusiasts. They don't like it anymore. It's not good anymore. And it's not because it's like some hipstery thing. It's not cool anymore. It just doesn't taste as good anymore. So that's what happens. They start to water it down. It's good to have someone in there that cares. And if I ever were to take investment money, it would be because we needed it. But the conditions would be like, you have zero say. Zero. <laughs> yeah. Zero say. And and when, if we ever, the business is ever acquired, that's where you're going to make your return. But until then, your money is gone and it's in the business and you stay out of the business as well. That's just the only way I could ever see it happening. That's me. No, it's, yeah, I think it can be something that new founders are disillusioned by, right? It just seems you, you hear about these crazy now valuations, like crazy valuations out of the valley and check sizes that are enormous. And it seems like, wow, that would really help me get to, like you said, you have lots of things you want to do, right? So it's like, wow, 13 million, 15 million yeah. million dollars would do a hell of a lot right yeah. so do you I, think know I don't get i don't get though just on a personal level yeah i think about who's putting in 20 million dollars into a business right so the first thing if you're putting 20 million dollars you have to have so much money that you're willing to part with 20 million dollars don't you have enough at that point like that's what i don't get it's like do you need that 20 million to be a hundred because you already have 20 and the 20 is not all your money. That's just like, if you have in, in a, enough to invest 20 million, you must have 50 plus I would think, or hundred. Like if I were that point, I'd be like, I don't, unless I was really trying to like invest in dreams. And it was like a human thing, like not like, but like, I'm like, do you, do you have a, like, do you need another yacht? <laughs> Like, I don't get, I don't, I can't even wrap my head around who would have put $20 million into anything. Like how much money do you have? How much do you need? Where does this end? Again, yeah. enough is as good as a feast. Yeah. I guess it's all, all relative, right? It's kind of like if, 
if your net worth is some, well, and some of these funds, right, they're funded by a bunch of investors. So maybe one person isn't putting in 20 million, but they're putting yeah. it into like the fund. Sure. So that's one thing. But but then also it's kind of like it's it's relative to your net worth, like you said. So if you're worth $500 million and someone's like, oh, do you want to put 20 million into my fund? And it's your buddy that is starting a fund. Maybe it's like yeah, buying a t-shirt. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's a $20 million t-shirt. It's expensive yeah. but, uh, to me, but yeah, I think it could be relative and it also, I would just be like, I would just be like, no, I'm good. I'm good. No, again, if it's my friend, it's a different thing. If there's a human, I, I maybe I'm just so far in the outside of that. I've never raised a dollar of investment money. I'm, I'm not in that game. I don't know how it works. Um, maybe I'm just ignorant. I'll, no, I'll it's not, I, I have not, I have not figured it out, but it's a fascinating, it's a fascinating place where I can get on a call with an associated, a fund that is probably 22, 25 years old. And it's like, yeah, I write checks of three to $5 million daily. And you're yeah. like, I'm like, you do what? <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. like what, was, what were you doing when you were 22 years old? I mean, it's just, that's crazy. I don't know. it's uh, yeah. But <laughs> I, I really appreciate your time. I think the the final kind of question I would have, and I think it comes from my coaching background, because every time you finish a coaching call, you you resolve to to do something differently, or you you decide to kind of make a change. And so, I mean, from everything that we've talked about, what do you think is one thing you can take away and act on from today's call? Because you've delivered so much value to me and every anyone that listened to this. But what's something I can change? I'm gonna go raise twenty mil. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um... You know, I don't know. I, 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 every day, I'm just trying to, to grow and, and continue to learn every day. I, I, I'm always, you know, one thing that I was talking about was um, trying to really sort of like find my place in leadership. And that's still, it's an ongoing, it's an ongoing challenge for me, to be honest. Um, I am at the point right now where I'm in a requalification. I, 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 I want to be like I'm, there's there's a real difference between being a founder and a CEO, and I feel like a founder. I feel like that's in my blood at this point. But I'm learning. I'm, I'm I'm I have a lot of of a way to go to be a CEO, and I want to be the CEO of this company. I want to lead that as we grow. Um, but I'm in a, a the requalification period right now. So like it's I talked about it, and it's something I did. I was thinking about a little after. Uh, that's where I'm at. That's what I'm going to continue to really focus my energy on is to, to grow into that, that role because they're two very different things. That's very cool. So what's one thing you're doing for requalification? That's an interesting, I like how you frame that because they are different. So what do you think one thing is that you're doing right now? I, I, I just think, you know, I, when I was in my old business, when I, we were growing the, the video production agency, that was my first company of, uh, I had to sell a lot. It became very much a student of sales. I read every sales book I could get my hands on. I think leadership is the thing I need to focus my energy on. So if you can't see it here, but I have a lot of books on leadership and habits, um, biographies of great leaders. Um, I just need to be a student. I need to be a student of the things where I'm weak. You know, there's like things we can do on the financial side that I can get more sophisticated on. I have this Brene Brown book here. Where was that? Um, Dare to lead. You know, that's next up on my, 
on my uh, thing, built to sell, you know, I'm not, we're not looking to sell anytime soon, but like need to like think about, is that where we're going? You know, as the, I, I need to be doing the thinking for the company on that stuff and the vision and continue. And that's where I'll, if there's one thing I'll continue to do is uh, drill deeper into my studies of leadership because that's where my skill set is needed to develop the most. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much again, Dan. It's been, I know we went over time, so sorry. I, I got into the, <laughs> it's all good. I had fun talking and uh, but, you know, this is it for me for the, for the weekend. I'm going to go eat some food and chill out for the night. And uh, I, but I'm glad I ended the week with this conversation. It was really fun. So thanks for having me. Oh yeah. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to hearing about your research on some different spots on uh Austin or yeah yeah hopefully I get out of hopefully I get out of the city soon yeah well thanks so so much I'll uh I'll check in but where where can people connect with you I mean I'll put I'll put some links to you know unbound and um unboundmarino.com is our website and if you type in unbound merino you could find us on all the socials you know twitter facebook instagram we're all there yeah, cool. So I'll, I'll post that and even maybe, I don't know, is your LinkedIn good or people yeah, whatever. want to, you've got some really cool book recommendations actually, which I think I'm going to just post like even GTD. I'll post some of those because that cool. brilliant. So cool. Well, thanks cool. so much. Talk Thank soon. you. Appreciate making the time. Awesome. Have a good weekend. Take care. Bye. Bye. Wow. What an episode. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you learned a lot and found Dan's story interesting. I know that I took so many notes and still have resources that I'm looking through as a result. As I mentioned, I'll post the book list, ways you can get in touch with Dan and his work, and any ideas or topics that we discussed along the way. If you want to support the podcast so that I can keep interviewing amazing people like Dan, Feel free to click the link and buy a coffee for me in the podcast. Otherwise, subscribe, follow, review, comment, wherever it is that you're accessing this. The more that we have people interacting with what's going on in this podcast, the better. If you'd like to be a guest, feel free to reach out. Any way that you can interact with me helps to make this a more useful experience for everyone. Thanks so much for listening. 